reviewed ever so briefly, those who have not been with us, Psalm, the book of Psalms is divided by the Hebrew people into five books matching the five books of Moses, also known as the Pentateuch. Psalm 73 to 89 is the Leviticus book of the Psalms, or the third book of Psalms. It has to do with the sanctuary. God's sanctuary, in some way or another, shows up in in just about every one of these Psalms, as in the 77th. And what we have also come to understand is that 11 of these Psalms, the first 11, are written by Asaph. Asaph is called in Scripture a seer which is the the primitive name for a prophet, according to 1 Samuel. And so we learn from that, we understand from that, that Asaph is looking into the future and speaking prophetically when he writes these psalms. We have seen in 73 through 76 that each of these psalms details uh, the uh, various uh, conditions of the Hebrew people during the time of great tribulation. Some, the unfaithful Jews of that time period who stayed in uh, the land of promise, stayed in Jerusalem and Judea, and became uh, overrun by the Antichrist. And then others of these psalms had to do with the remnant of people who believed God, were faithful to His Word, and fled into the wilderness for safety during that time period. But all of them deal with this tribulation time. We have also been drawing from each of these psalms some of the key words which... Uh, we have taken the time to run through Scripture because these key words uh, help us in our understanding of the Bible. When you see the word roar or roaring, that's a trigger now. We, we've learned that. We've seen that. That's the Lord at His second coming. When you see the phrase, the inhabitants of the earth or the inhabitants of the earth, that's a, that's a key phrase that triggers in your mind. These are people who are in league with the beast. And so we've been looking at various of these words and of these phrases, and the one that we'll focus in on tonight when we get to it is this matter of quaking or of an earthquake. Whenever you read about the earth quaking or, or, or God shaking things, the context of that, of that remark will be the second coming of Jesus Christ at the close of the tribulation. But let's read together tonight, starting at verse 1, Psalm 77 and verse 1. I cried unto God with my voice. Even unto God with my voice, he gave ear unto me. The repetition there, pointing out the sincerity and the fervency of the cry. There's nothing wrong with praying the same words over and over again. Nothing wrong with praying about the same thing over and over again. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount forbade vain repetition. He did not forbid repetition. If you pray one time and you're not sincere, that's vain. If you pray three times and you're not sincere, that's vain repetition. If you pray a hundred times the same prayer and you are sincere each time, God's glad to hear from you, glad to hear your voice. So here the psalmist is repeating himself, not because he thinks God's deaf, not because he thinks God wasn't listening, though he's he's not so sure as we go on down through, but because that's what's on his heart. Hey, if a hundred times a day you want to ask God to save souls, I don't think the Lord gets tired of hearing that prayer, do you? You want to ask God 30 times a day to to get you a a little cleaner and a little more holy and a little more sincere about your walk with the Lord. I don't think that offends God to hear you uh, calling out like that. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. 
You might run out of specific items to pray about, but you don't have to run out of praying. Amen. Just start over again. So, he says here, he gave ear unto me. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble. Well, okay, here's a Jew in a day of trouble. So, already we've got a tribulation key. I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night. There's another tribulation key. It's nighttime. And cease not, my soul refused to be comforted. Now, there's two, two other times in Scripture when someone refuses comfort. Rachel, weeping for her children, the slaughter of the innocents at the hand of Pharaoh, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted, and, and the father of Joseph, when his brothers brought that bloody coat of many colors, and, and Joseph's father believed for all the world that Joseph, that is, the one who was to inherit, that Joseph was dead. And so what we have here is we have another tribulation key. What's going on in that tribulation time? It looks for all the world like Jacob's heir will not sit upon the throne. And it looks for all the world like a very, very bad world ruler is going to slaughter all the innocent Hebrew children and, and so here in Psalm 77, the psalmist says, it's a day of trouble, it's nighttime, I'm calling out to God, and I'm not getting any comfort. I'm refusing to be comforted. 77 and verse number uh, 4, or 3, I'm sorry. I, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. My spirit was overwhelmed. Selah, thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Look at this. Verse 2, my trouble. Verse 3, troubled. Verse 4, troubled. This, this man is in a terrible, terrible state. Verse 5, I have considered the days of old. Now, can I say something else to you about praying? Uh, I've got all kinds of books about how to pray. I've got all kinds of books about the best way to pray. I've got all kinds of books about the method of prayer. I've heard all kinds of sermons on prayer. Uh, the, the best thing I ever heard in my life was a conference, I believe it was in India, and pastors came from all over India to this conference. And one of the highlights of the conference was this man you've heard a uh, praying hide was going to speak on prayer. And all week it was, he's going to speak on prayer, he's going to speak on prayer. And, and that was the, the anticipation all week to hear this man who was renowned the world over for his prayer life, he was going to speak on prayer. And the time came, and the man walked to the platform, and as best he could, he made eye contact with everyone there. And then he leaned forward and said, do it, and sat down. You don't need any more instruction, you just need a heart. But here's what I was going to show you. Look what he says in verse number four, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Look at verse 1, I cried unto God with my voice. It doesn't have to be verbal and audible for you to be speaking unto the Lord your God. How can I pray without ceasing when I've got to work and I've got to do a job? Your heart can be in continual communion with your God whether you verbalize that thing or not. Sometimes, uh, Romans 8.26, you can't form words for the depth of your sorrow and the depth of your heartache, but you can deliver that heart to God. And so that's the condition of the man here. Verse 5, I have considered that... Let me give you something on verse 4. 
before I read on the fifth verse. A.C. Gabelein said this. It's really good. Introspection, self-occupation, does not assist confidence in God. It leads either to self-exaltation or to depression. Do not, do not spend time in introspection. Spend time in prayer. That's really good, isn't it? I got a brother right now, I'm trying to minister to him, and, and this fella, sometimes it's once a week, sometimes it's more than that. He'll call me, and, and he just, he, he's doubting his salvation, and he wants me to give him the miracle verse or the miracle cure for his doubts. Fellow's done everything the Bible says you can do to be saved, but he doubt, and the reason he doubts his salvation is he sits around all day long thinking about what he's thinking about and feeling about how he's feeling and, and working on what kind of works he's doing. And you know something, at some point in time, you just got to say, I don't feel like I'm saved, I don't think I'm saved, I don't act like I'm saved, but God said, I'm saved. If you're not going to stand on what God said, then nobody can give you any assurance. The only assurance you're going to get is just taking God at His word. Uh, in fact, I would say the days you're sure you're saved are probably the ones when you're backslid. <laughs> yeah, I'm saved today and I know it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Don't come around me on that day. <laughs> so, so he's, he's, he's all caught up in this thing. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Look, he's, he's thinking back on how God used to work and how God used to bless and how they used to sing praise to God and how good things used to be. And it's just, when, you, when he compares how bad things are now to how good things used to be, that only compounds his trouble and his sorrow. Verse 7, Will the Lord cast off forever? You know what he's done? Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. You know what he's done? He's cast away that Hebrew people. He's cast them away. Now, what they don't realize is, when they get in that tribulation and begin this sort of praying, and begin this sort of pondering, and begin this sort of soul searching, they are as close as they can be to redemption. You, you know what happened just before you got saved? you started realizing things were bad. And you began to despair of how bad they were. And you began to wonder if God would ever have anything to do with you. You're right at the door. You're right at the door. Tell you something, that Hebrew people in that tribulation time, when they start saying, it sure was good when God blessed us, it sure was good when our people sang the praises of the Lord, but now God's cast us off, it looks like He's never coming back, it looks like He's never going to help us again. God, where are you? father turns to the son and said, was that Jacob I just heard? Did I, did I just hear Joseph calling out to me? Oh yeah. Look what he says. And will he be favorable no more? Man, it sure looked like that if you were in the middle of tribulation, wouldn't it? It looked like God was done with you and he was never going to help you again. Is his mercy clean, gone forever? There's a good old Bible term. Is clean, gone. So it's gone, didn't even leave a trace. Clean, gone, forever. Now look, doth his promise fail forevermore? 
Now, you know what that is? That's got to be a Hebrew on earth in the tribulation. You say, why? Because if everything in your life fell apart, that wouldn't cause you to doubt God's promise because He didn't promise you anything in this life. In fact, He promised you eventually it would all fall apart and then He'd take you out and give you a glorified body and a home in heaven. So if you looked, if you woke up tomorrow and North Korea nuked the East Coast and China nuked the West Coast and, and, uh, and, you know, you couldn't get any gasoline from Venezuela and, and, and all of a sudden America went down the drain, you couldn't say, Oh God, where's your promise? Because he didn't promise America anything. If suddenly they, the, the tide turned and the church began to be persecuted in our country and suffer martyrdom, you couldn't stand in line in front of a firing squad and say, oh God, where's your promise? He didn't promise to get you out of that. But if God promised you peace and safety on a piece of ground alongside the Mediterranean Sea, and God promised you a home uh, with, without persecution from your enemies and good crops and good lands and the former rain and the latter rain and the desert blossoming like a rose and you looked around and saw nothing but death and dirt, you could say, God, where is your promise? And it looks for all the world to this man like God has failed to keep his promise. Look at verse 9. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? I don't care where you where you... Uh, come forth out of the womb, you're dependent on the grace of God. He said, God, where's your grace? Verse 8, God, where's your mercy? Verse 8, God, where's your promise? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Now, what's he hearkening back to with his tender mercies? They're called in the book of Acts, the sure mercies of David. David in Psalm 51 was guilty of death penalty offenses. And he went to God in repentance, and God put his sin away and restored unto him the joy of his salvation. And David wrote in Psalm 32, Blessed is the Lord. He blessed God for his grace and blessed God for his mercy. And now this man looks and he says, Hey, we may be guilty. We may be as guilty as David, but we couldn't possibly be more guilty than David. Where's that tender mercy we heard about? Where's that grace that we heard about? So he's crying out to God. Verse 10. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I, I, that's, a, that's a neat phrase. He didn't say the years at the right hand of the Most High. He said the years of the right hand of the Most High. He's not talking about the years when we were close to God. He's talking about the years when the arm of the Lord that is not shortened used to reach down and save His people. God, you reached down and saved us out of Egypt. God, you reached down and saved us out of Chaldea. God, you reached down and saved us from the Syrians. God, you reached down and saved us from the Midianites. God, you reached down and saved us from the Philistines. God, you reached down and saved us from the Babylonian. God, I remember the years of your strong right arm. Sure seems like that arm isn't reaching our way anymore. God, where is it? Verse, uh, verse number 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Signs belong to who? Israel, Jews, yeah. Miracles belong to who? Israel, Jews. Wonders belong to who? Israel, the Jew, you know what this fellow's saying? He said, I remember, I remember God when you sent manna down from heaven. 
I remember God when we looked at a brazen serpent and lived. I remember God when He parted the Red Sea. What's, what's He doing? He's, he's wondering where that God who always showed up to deliver His people, He's wondering where He's gone. What happened to that God? Verse number 12. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Isn't that great? Now, America can't say that. America doesn't have a God. Egypt can't say that. Egypt's got a bunch of gods. Uh, Pakistan, Persia, India, they can't say that. They've got hundreds of gods over there. Russia can't say that. They tried to kill their God off, tried to get rid of him. There's one nation on this earth that has a God who is their God nationally, and that's Israel. And so he's, he's saying, he's saying, who is so great a God as our God? Now, somebody else might say they got one, but, but we've got one. We've got a real God, a strong God, a powerful God. Um, brother, the brother out in Mississippi sent me this. Um, uh, a Church of Christ preacher in Biloxi, Mississippi, put the following message on a magnetic signboard in front of his church. There is one God, and his name is not Allah. Pretty good. He put that on the board on September the 11th, 2002. Just a little reminder. Well, here comes the Associated Press. And you know who they're going to quote to attack that statement? Professing Christians. I mean, that's how you do it. You get the news media to quote people who came, claim to be Christians attacking somebody who tells the truth in God's name so that the nitwits who get their information from the media instead of the Bible say, well, that's not very Christian, is it? Come on, that's how it works. Now, that doesn't work the first time you read a paper, but after, you know, 35, 40 years of it, you can't think for yourself anymore. So here's, here's some quotes from the article. Many say the message is less than spiritual. Meaning what? Meaning what? That comes from a newspaper that runs ads for dirty movies. Runs ads for bars and, and liquor stores. Come on. Runs underwear, full page underwear ads on the second, third page. You know, modern day pornography. It's not spiritual. What does the Associated Press know about spiritual? I mean, they wouldn't know spiritual if they'd walk through the door. They'll print the horoscope right next to the day's weather. guess that's spiritual. Uh, here's another quote. Several residents, including members of the church, are offended. So what's new? <laughs> that, that isn't news. Why is that in the paper? That's not news. Now, let me ask you something. If I'm offended, if I'm offended by dirty magazines in the 7-Eleven, is the Associated Press going to write that up? If I'm offended by half-naked women walking up down the streets of my town, is that going to make Associated Press? I don't, you know what? It's, it's only news when somebody tells the truth for God and, and people are offended. It's not news when wicked people do wicked things and push them in your face all day long. If you're offended by that, you've got a problem. But if the world's offended by the truth, then you've got a problem. This looks like we're the problem no matter what we do. Okay, I'm used to it. I like being the problem. I, I can handle that. Some of the church members were offended. Probably so. Number three, 
this is a quote, third quote. They see it as, a, as an attack on the Islam faith and find it inappropriate. Now, you know something? If you profess to be a Christian and you go into a church and you consider it inappropriate to say that Allah is not God, you are plainly not born again. Now, I don't know what else you are. You might be a good tither and you might be, you know, have a good, big attendance pin or something. But you, you can't possibly be born again and think it's inappropriate to say Allah is not God. I don't get it. Number four, one woman whined, quote, It was so hurtful and I couldn't believe it. I feel like it's not showing unity. It's showing division. See where we are? What is Christianity? In, in the minds of the American people, what is Christianity? You love Wicca, you love witchcraft, you love Buddha, you love New Age, you love Muhammad, you love Jesus, you love Barney, you love Dale Earnhardt, you're a Christian. That's right. That's right. If you believe in heaven, you're a Christian. If you believe in heaven and hell, you're hateful. You're not Christian. Isn't that right? It was so hurtful. How can it be hurtful to tell the truth? Unless John 3, 19, you hate the truth. Now, this, this is not in, in the article here, but I'm going to tell, tell you something. This is a fact. Two years, what are we, two years? Year and a half. We're not even a year and a half. From that September 11 thing and this war on terrorists, all Muslims are not terrorists. But all terrorists are Muslims. A year and a half, less than a year and a half that thing happened. Let me tell you what the news media in America has done to our people. Islam is more favored today than it was before that attack. It is more accepted and embraced today than it was before that attack. And you can go in out, listen, we can't, we can't take anti-Islamic literature into the jails, but the Islamic people can take anti-Christian literature into the jails and distribute it in the name of helping people to understand Islam so they won't be intolerant. Our country is nuts, man. Absolutely nuts. I'm off track here, but it's, it's okay. Um, I was so hurtful and I couldn't believe it. That's too bad, isn't it? Isn't it too bad that there's so many people who aren't speaking out the truth that when one man does, people can't believe it? If every Christian in America was telling everybody they work with, you know, Allah's not God. There's only one true God and it's not Allah. It wouldn't be so shocking. But it's shocking because one guy worked up the nerve to tell the truth. <laughs> What's that? It's light. hurts when you hadn't seen it in a while, doesn't it? It kind of shocks your eyeballs. I feel like it's not showing unity. Well, how about that unity? Why does it have to be unity on your terms? Why can't everybody say Allah's not God and then we'd all be united? Why can't everybody say the God of the Bible is the one true God and then we'd all be united? Why are, the we, why are we the ones against unity? We believe there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're for unity. We got one version. We got one way of salvation. We've got one Savior. We're unified. <laughs> it's that bunch that's against unity. We'll be unified in the millennium. We'll be unified in heaven. Number five. The former pastor said, quote, The sign is embarrassing. 
Well, what's it to you? You're not there anymore. It's not your problem. You ready? It's very upsetting. And I think it's in poor taste. We're not decorating a room. Poor taste. I didn't like the floral arrangement. Poor taste. Here is a preacher who finds it in poor taste to upset Mohammedans by telling them that Allah can't get them to heaven. I'm not Church of Christ, but... um, I'm glad the guy that's there now is there instead of the guy who used to be there. At least he knows who God is. He may think he's more kin to Aquaman than Superman, but at least at least he knows who the who the true God is. Number number six, <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> There's one God and his name is Neptune. <laughs> All right, now, let's see what else. Uh, of course, we got to quote a Gulf Coast Muslim who said. Whoever put it up is small-minded. That's a very small-minded thing to say, isn't it? Very intolerant statement, wasn't it? I mean, isn't he entitled to his beliefs? Isn't he entitled to be sincere in what he believes and, and express himself as he sees fit? Hey, liberals are liberal when it comes to everybody but a Christian. Everybody's entitled to their own beliefs and to do their own thing except people that know Jesus Christ. And then the liberal goes out the window. Gulf Coast Muslims said, whoever put it up is small-minded. There is only one God. Yeah? Is it Allah? I mean, come on, let's, let's finish up. So, anyway, I'm glad he put that sign up. I like to hear the president say that. That'd be good. I've decided not to run for re-election because I want to tell the truth. Here's the truth. There's only one God and His name's not Allah. <laughs> name named Jesus Christ. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and Jesus didn't rebuke him. Amen. All right, Psalm 77 and verse number... Where were we before that? We took that little side trip. Verse 14. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Now, look, that's obvious. That's not the church, is it? How many of you are redeemed? Let's see. Are you redeemed? Better give an invitation. Okay. Are, are you a son of Jacob or Joseph? No, man. So, who are these redeemed people that are sons of Jacob and sons of Joseph? That's the Israelite nation. It's Hebrew people. Okay, now, 16, the waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee, they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. That's that latter, former and latter rain at the same time. We'll get to that in, a, in another psalm. Thine arrows also went abroad. That's lightnings, and we'll look at that at a later time. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. There's that roaring, and we'll run thunder at a later time. Again, uh, the lightnings lightened the world. Here we go. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path on the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, a couple of, couple of more things, and then we'll look at this earthquake. The commentators say there is an abrupt end at verse 20. And they think that maybe this is a fragment of a psalm, and we lost the rest of it. Or it's the first part of a two-part 
psalm and we don't have the rest of it. I'll show you something. Now, this is, this is just my guess. I, I can't prove this to you. But he's going along and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking, and all of a sudden, verse 20, and it just ends. It just stops. Verse 4. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. What he said? He said, I'm laying here and all I'm thinking about is how bad it is, how much trouble we're in. I can't even shut my eyes. You know what I think? I think he got his mind on God in verses uh, 10 down to 20. He got his mind off trouble and he got his mind on God. I think he fell asleep. He's been so bad and so bad I can't sleep. It's just all this trouble. I can't sleep. It's so much trouble. But God, you're so good. God, you've been good. You've been good for a long time. You've always been good to our people. And I just, just fell out, fell asleep and got some rest. Well, that's not very, you know, I don't... Hey, man, I had to pay for a whole semester course in British literature. We read about poets getting high on dope and opium and laying in the bathtub right until they passed out. So there's literary precedent for a guy writing and then falling asleep before he finishes. I don't think he was on dope. I think he's on Holy Spirit. He got a little comfort, and that's as far as he went. So anyway, that's, that's better than saying we lost half of God's Word somewhere, all right, earthquake, earthquake, let's take a look. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 24, Revelation 6, and Matthew 24. God's going to shake this earth, He's going to shake the heavens, He'll do it at the close of the tribulation time. In fact, the whole the thing will be shaken all through that tribulation. Matthew chapter six. I'm sorry, Matthew twenty four, Revelation six. Matthew twenty four and verse number four. Jesus answered, said to them, Take heed, no man deceive you. If many shall come by name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Seek ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Four. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So, there will be earthquakes, just as there will be wars and military conflicts. And the Lord said, don't be deceived by any of that. None of it signals the end of the world. Okay? Now, if you have... The sun darkened, and the moon darkened, and the stars not giving their light, and the Lord roaring from heaven, and a former rain and latter rain falling at the same time, and the nations of the world marching through dried up Euphrates rivers and surrounding Jerusalem, and uh, the, the earth and the heavens shaking. If you have all that happening at one time, then you can say, okay, here we go. <laughs> The Lord's coming. But Jesus said all that other stuff, you know what that is? That's just life running its course. Okay? But there's, there's a big one coming. Revelation 6 and verse number 12. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, 
even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. You know what those arrows are, those lightnings are? That's, that's the sky being filled with this activity. And uh, as uh, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, you hadn't had an earthquake like that ever, ever, but you will have one. Uh, turn your Bible to Revelation 8. Revelation chapter 8 and uh, verse verse 3 there, or 2, there's an angel standing before God. Verse 3, an angel came to the altar. Verse uh, number 4, he's got smoke of incense. Uh, verse number 5, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Revelation 11. 11 and verse number 13. This is the time of the uh, this uh, midpoint tribulation. The witness is being caught out uh, somewhere. We don't know exactly where in the middle, but somewhere in the middle of that tribulation time. Verse 13, the same hour, was there a great earthquake? And the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant was affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Revelation 11 and verse 19 this, this time. eleven nineteen. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament. That's why you can't find the ark of the covenant. God's got it up there for safekeeping. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. 16, verse 18. 16, verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. The great city was divided in three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Great Babylon came from us for God and... And verse 20, every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Now, here, here's, here's what it looks like. If you lay this book of Revelation out and put these things all in their sequence, it looks like about the midpoint of that tribulation, God starts striking this earth with quaking. And just about the time it settles down, God hits it again. And just about the time it settles down, God hits it again. And then at the very close of that tribulation, God just rocks the whole thing thing at once, and, and it almost looks as though for that whole three and a half years of the what's called the Great Tribulation, there is almost this constant state of, of unrest as the earth is moving beneath the feet of its inhabitants, God trying to say, hey, if all you got's down here, you're about to lose it. I'm shaking this whole thing up. Look in your Bible and um, uh, let's just try and take these, I don't know if I can take them in order. Uh, let's go to Isaiah. There's several there. Isaiah. And let's look first at chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. And verse, verse 11. No, 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 no. Uh, 9. The day of the Lord shall come. No, no, no. Verse, verse 6. <laughs> because I want, you, I want you to see some of these keys that we've already talked about. How do ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction, as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall the hands be faint, 
What? What did he say in, in, in 76? They can't find their hands. Remember? Their hearts shall melt. Verse 7. Verse 8. They shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows. There's that word again. Shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. Remember that? We've seen that over and over again. They shall be amazed one another. Their faces shall be as flames. God's burning them up, man. He's burning the flesh right off their bones. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So you better not be in that land when he comes back. You better be out in the wilderness. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. Matthew 24, Revelation 19, sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. How about that? Verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and the day of his fierce anger... And it shall be as the chaste roe and as a sheep that no man taketh up. They shall every man turn to his own people and flee every one into his own land. What did the Lord say he's going to do? He's going to turn out the sun, turn out the moon, darkness everywhere, and he's going to shake the earth and the heavens. That's what he's going to do in the day of his wrath. All right, Isaiah 24. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 17. Fear in the pit and the snare are upon thee, O... Look who we're talking about. Inhabitant of the earth. Remember that study? Okay, this is, the, this is the wicked in the tribulation. It shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. He that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. Hey, we're not talking about a steel reinforced high-tech American building rumbling a little bit in Los Angeles. We're talking about everything standing, falling like some brittle wood frame cottage when the earth is staggering. It's not shaking a little bit. It's flip-flopping like a drunkard, says the Bible. I believe the Bible. Uh, thereof, transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it. It shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high. That's principalities and powers in the second heaven. The kings of the earth upon the earth. That's down here. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners gathered in the pit. Shall be shut up in the prison. After many days shall they be visited. That white throne judgment. Then... The moon should be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts should reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Now look at this. Sun goes dark, moon goes dark, God shakes the heavens and the earth, destroys the wicked in the second heaven, destroys their little flunkies down here on earth, sets up his kingdom, throws them in the prison, in the pit, and the sun comes back out and the moon comes back out, but now they're ashamed of themselves. They can't give off any more light than what they're giving off because compared to the king on the throne at Jerusalem, that sun up in the sky is a pipsqueak. He's, he's nothing. He's nothing. Uh, Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. You know, I, I, I've got some... Most of the bad commentaries, I flip through a, through, few, through a few pages and then get rid of them. 
Most of the ones I got are pretty good. They're conservative fellows, and, and they got something to offer here and there. But you just you just ought to be uh, you'd be amazed reading those fellows. They say, well, you know the the language of Isaiah and the language of Joel and the language of the psalmist are so similar that we have to wonder who copied who. What if they're all writing down what God told them? And they're all writing truth about the same event, and they match because what they're writing is so. Wouldn't that be something? Isaiah 29, and verse number 6. Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder, and with earthquake, and great noise, with storm of tempest, and the flame of devouring fire. You see that? It's, it's, it's all through here, over and over again. Uh, that's Isaiah. Now take a look at um, at Joel. Let's go to Joel chapter number 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel 2. Look at verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand a day of darkness and of gloominess. Okay? Verse 3, a fire devoureth. Verse number 6, Before their face the people shall be much pained, and all faces shall gather blackness. God burning them up. Some sort of a, a thing worse than a nuclear blast. Verse 9, They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run... They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake. Before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for He is strong that executeth His word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? See that? You've got an earthquake, you've got blackness, you've got the Lord roaring, you've got His army. Now, you want to hear something really neat? One of, the, one of the hundreds of reasons why I know the church is leaving for this tribulation time, the Bible says in the book of Joel, the great and terrible day of the Lord. When Peter preaches in the book of Acts from this passage, you know what he says? The great and notable day of the Lord. I'm saved. You know what that is for me? It's something to make note of. It's not something to be terrified by. You know why? He ain't burning me. I'm on His side. It's a great and notable day of the Lord. It's not a great and dreadful day of the Lord. It's not a great and terrible day of the Lord. It's just a, no, it's a notable day. I'm coming back to rule and reign with Christ. Let me make a note of that. So I remember to be here. But it's surely nothing to be afraid of. There's a contradiction here in the Bible. No, no, no. You just don't know what you're talking about. For one man, the day is terrible. For another man, it's merely notable. Somebody's have an operation tomorrow. That's a serious thing for them. For me, I'll pray for them, go by to see them. But we're viewing the same event on the same day in two entirely different ways. All right, look in, uh, let's see, Joel... Let's see what we come to next. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1. Turn carefully, it'll get past you. Boy, just remembered an operation here. 
<laughs> That's where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> That's one of those key words that triggers a thought in your mind. <laughs> Nahum chapter 1 and verse number 3. The Lord is slow to anger. How about a hallelujah right there? <laughs> Glad of that. Great in power, will not acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and the storm, the clouds of the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, Carmel, the flower of Lebanon languisheth. Now look at this. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. The rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good. <laughs> Just depends on whether you're on his side or not. Stronghold in the day of trouble, trouble, trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. So what do you got again? You got earthquake, you got fire. Joel, uh, let's see, Nahum, Habakkuk, um, Zephaniah, Haggai. Go to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. You got this in Job 9. We won't go there tonight. You got this in, jo- in uh, Psalm 60. We won't go there tonight. Haggai chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while. Now, can I... How about another side trip? We're doing okay tonight. Another side trip. God said in Malachi, as He's given His last rebuke to the nation of Israel before He closed the Old Testament, He said He hateth putting away. Because no matter how bad things got between that man and that woman, the spirit, the residue of the spirit remained. Okay? So that, don't put her away, I can restore that thing. Residue of spirit remains. Israel is the wife of Jehovah, Isaiah 54. They are estranged, according to the book of Hosea, because of her adulteries, according to the book of Ezekiel. But the Bible says in the book of Haggai, yet, yet, the Spirit remains. And and on that basis, I can and will restore this marriage relationship, no matter how bad it's been, I'll put it back together. That's God. That's God. If He can do it for a nation, He can do it for whatever's going on in your house. He, he can do it. So, Haggai 2, Haggai 2, and look what He says in verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory. There's the sanctuary. Saith the Lord of hosts. Now, you can look at that two ways. You can say the desire of of all nations. And you could say, well, what they really desire is the Lord. They just don't know it. Or you could say, when God's done burning the bad guys, the only people left are the nations and the people that desired Him. And either way, that thing will work. But the desire of all nations is coming. And when He comes, you'll know it. Because this whole place is going to be so shook up. Haggai 2, come on down to verse number uh, 20. And again the word of the Lord came out of Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, 
and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots of those, and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So God, despite all opposition, is going to shake the heavens and the earth, rid them of all evil, and set up his kingdom as he promised. That earthquake, whenever you see that earthquake showing up, that is that is second coming material in the context. Over and over and over again. Now, come to Hebrews chapter 12. Show you one more in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. You can find this in Ezekiel 38 as well. It's all through the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more should not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. There you got it. You got the fire and you got the earthquake and that earthquake is not just the earth, it's the heaven and the earth. It's a big one. It's a big one. Now, I'm going to give you this and all I can do with this tonight, that's all I'm going to do, is just whet your appetite. You can get it on tape. You can get it in the, uh, in the Zechariah book as well. Here's what God did. According to Ezekiel 5.5, Jerusalem is the center of the earth. Okay? Not, not spiritually, geographically. In Genesis 1, God made the dry land and called it earth, and the dry land was in one place. It was all together. In the days of a man named Peleg, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, whose name means earthquake, the Bible says God divided the earth. It wasn't until the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is chapter 11 when he divided the people. But he divided the earth in chapter 10. That is, the land was in one place. And God divided the land so when he divided the people and they traveled by foot to the various places of the earth and then the earth moved and is still moving so that God can form these great barriers to keep man from getting together, like he did in Genesis chapter number 11. And people say, well, you know, it looks to me like the people who live in North America just walked there. Well, of course they did. There was no ocean to cross at that time, but can't, can't go into all that. Now, here's what's going to happen. For, for over 5,000 years, or close to 5,000 years, that land mass has been drifting apart. What God's going to do in a matter of moments at the close of that tribulation, He's going to shove the whole thing back together where it was. You talk about some shaking, man. You talk about some moving. That, that's some movement. Now, I can't do it tonight, but I, I believe it's detailed in the, in the Zechariah book. God, when, listen, when this earth, all this earthquake stuff is finished, it won't be K2 or K9 or Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest. When this thing is through according to the Bible... The highest point geographically on the earth will be Mount Zion at Jerusalem. That will be the pinnacle of the earth. And all the land will flow out from that point. 
Now you talk about a beacon of light on a high place, illuminating all that's around it. How about the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ on a throne at Jerusalem, and that throne being the high point of the earth, and that light illuminating all the nations, and unto Him shall the Gentiles seek. It won't be hard to find Him. He's the light of the world. Now, like I say, all I can do to really prove that. I'm not going to prove it in the next ten minutes. I'm just telling you, just get in the Bible. It's a great book. It's a great book. Um, so why aren't people... No, I don't even, no, no. Why... Why aren't, why aren't people talking about these things? Because we're busy. Okay, I understand that. But the most important thing to God biblically was not me getting saved. The most important thing to God biblically is not the rapture of the church. The most important thing to God biblically is not the judgment seat of Christ. This Bible from one end to the other is about the day when God's dear Son sits on that throne at Jerusalem and rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And whatever you're reading about in this Bible in some way or another, it's going to point to that event. It surely is. So that earth, man, you talk about a shake-up. They say, well, you know, there's an earthquake out there. We think the tectonic plates were moving one against another and they bumped a little and collided and, and we had this little uh, shock wave going up through Alaska. You just wait till God starts putting six continents back in place. That'll be some shaking be some shaking. You talk about a new heavens and a new earth, it'll be entirely different then. It surely will. Six continents, I thought there were seven. Come on. That Europe-Asia thing, that defies the very definition of the word continent. You say, well, why, why do they say there's seven? Because they know seven's a number of completion, but they had to draw a line down the middle of one because they couldn't find the other one. It's in Revelation 20. That new Jerusalem's the seventh continent. thing's not going to be complete till the Lord reigns with His, with his bride. So that's why that's why you got to pretend like that Ural Mountain thing is that don't divide a continent, man. That's a bunch of mountains through the middle of one. There's, there's one still coming. So, all right, how's that? That's enough for keep you reading at least till Sunday. So, amen. I don't see all that in there. Well, good. That's good. Good. Read it. Read it. Just look up every verse on mountains moving, every verse on land moving, every verse on mountains leveling, every verse on. Mount Zion being exalted, just, just don't take my word for it. But don't say it's wrong till you, till you look it up. They call me days. Well, I, just, I just don't believe the Bible. Well, you expect me to believe the Bible? How many times have you read it? Then some here's somebody criticizing me for believing a book I've read for 26 years, and they're saying they don't believe it. And they haven't even looked at it yet. You got to, you got to admit that's some, some, that's some shaky ground. Well, you don't really believe it's literally true. How can you say that? I said, well, I've read it. Have you? Well, I read this. I don't want to know what you read about it. I want to know if you read it. Did you, did you read the book? Did you read the book. you got to read the book. Amen. A fellow uh, called me a couple of days ago, and, and uh, these guys know him. They were asking about him, and... Um, He'll call me up and he said, Brother James, what about so-and-so? I just don't agree with you on so-and-so. So I'll send him all the information. Two days later, he'll call me up and he'll say, I want to talk about it. I said, did you, did you listen to what I sent you? Well, not all of it. Did you look up all the verses? Well, no, I hadn't had time to do that. Then, then no more questions because we haven't finished dealing with the last one yet. Let's, you know, let's, get, let's not do the Jehovah's Witness hop, skip, and a jump thing, you know. Ah, miss me again. Got another verse over here. Miss me. No, just stay put. <laughs> Stay right there. We'll deal with that one. So, uh, there's a lot in this Bible. And um, you say, I don't see how it affects my life. I, I believe, I believe 
Anything that helps convince me that men didn't write this book, that God put it together, helps me in my life. I believe that. So, all right, let's pray.